Every story in scripture awaits a response. I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas, and this is the third class in a series designed to cover the 17 periods of Bible history. Class number one, the beginning, creation, up to the flood. Class number two, the flood and the aftermath. This is class number three concerning the Tower of Babel. We will have plenty of time to cover this event, and we'll have time to make some very critical, practical lessons from the story, the history of the Tower of Babel back in the book of Genesis. We're moving through the Bible in time or sequence. 17 periods of Bible history will take us through this journey. We're going to start by doing some reading, and we're going to do that reading from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. You should see that on the screen, Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they made brick for stone and butamen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. I want you to try to imagine what this might have looked like and sounded like. And it may help to imagine that you are there somewhere. You're not a participant. You're just witnessing. You're looking on at what's happening. Let's imagine that. If you were there, you were visiting, you were watching this scene, you notice people who've been traveling, settling down. There seems to be a tone of permanence about their attitude and their settlement and their unity. And you hear the people talking in one language, and you can tell they're making some plans. And then you see this busy activity, and you hear the sound of construction and work, and you detect some optimism and pride as they go about their work. Out of all this flurry of work, from the dust and over several months, the structure 
emerges. This structure comes up out of all that work. Large stones are rolled up to this construction site. You hear the sounds of the tools, buckets and hammers and crudely made fasteners, and you smell the smoke from the brick ovens, and the excitement among the people seems to grow louder, and you listen in, and you hear these words, come, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, here's where you need to go back and remember something from an earlier period in Bible history. You remember what God told the people after the flood? He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It is clear God's will was that the sons of Noah and their descendants move out and populate the earth to establish various communities. But here on the plains of Shinar, you're seeing and hearing men rebel against that divine purpose and they have their own purpose, identified clearly in verse 4. Let us make a name for ourselves. They wanted to experience their own accomplishments with inordinate pride in direct defiance against God's will. But now, as you continue to witness this as an imaginary bystander, suddenly the scene becomes very spooky and the large stones lie forsaken in the desert. The sounds of construction cease. And then what you hear is total confusion. The people are trying to communicate, but they don't understand each other, and they grow frantic. And as people divide and move away from the center of activity, a tall, unfinished tower looms up, Nowhere near its intended height or purpose. What are we to make of this? This time, I want to get right to the practical. The story is brief, can be covered in just this class, and communicates to us very clearly some important fundamental lessons. And we have time to get right to the lessons that were written for our learning. Number one, big is not necessarily better. It seems to me there is a common interest in bigger. There was a time in our history, and it may not be over, when political leaders were obsessed with building bigger and bigger government. One of our presidents went to Washington several years ago determined to reduce the size of government, not only in national politics, but also in vehicles and houses and retail outlets. There's the same kind of mentality, big just to be big. And this kind of thinking has had tremendous impact in religion, so much so there are many people who actually think the bigger a church building and the more people in the building, the greater the spirituality. In modern religion, we are numbers and size crazy. We seem to equate size with spirituality and success, when in fact, there is no necessary correlation. 
We need to learn that big things are not wrong because they are big, but neither are they right because they are big. Size is only one measurement of the worth of a thing, and in many cases, bigger is not better. There is no doubt in the case of the Tower of Babel, as men were motivated by selfish, inordinate pride, their vision of being bigger led to their shame and their defeat. So let's reject that narrow perspective of size and numbers and comparison. Let's not be victims of the warped, worldly emphasis on big. Number two, not all cooperation pleases God. The Tower of Babel was a great organizational accomplishment as far as it went, but ill-advised from the very first brainstorming session. I can't tell you how many people were involved, but I assume this work required the cooperation of thousands. They had a plan. They had to work together. I'm thinking there were probably some mistakes made in the early phases of construction or planning, so they would have to meet again and come up with solutions to the problems. There, there had to have been some level of amazing unity and cooperation facilitated over time to get the project off the ground, literally off the ground. But the fact that men get together and cooperate doesn't mean God is pleased. Today, terrorists organize. They have meetings that show order and allegiance to their cause and loyalty to each other, but their mission, their aim is utterly repugnant to God. The fact that people are united doesn't mean they are not united in the right things and in the right way. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 verse 3 said to Christians, we should be endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It is not just any unity recommended here. It is not cooperation or ecumenical unity engineered by human negotiators. No, this is a very specific kind of unity in Ephesians 4. It's the unity of the Spirit. The only way to achieve this unity is to submit to what the Spirit has revealed. All kinds of good things can be learned in this period of Bible history from the Tower of Babel. Not all unity is approved of God. Big is not necessarily better. And then... God's will is supreme. God will not let men replace him as supreme over all things. We belong to him. The way this works is we submit to him. When we defy him, we are inviting trouble. These men at Babel dreamed of a tower that would punch through the clouds, scratch the heavens, and Prove their superiority, God would not have it. God spoke in the context of the plurality of deity when he said, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Men sought this great monument to their glory, ignoring God's will, 
And in that monument, what they found was their shame. Men cannot win against God. I think of the book of Psalms in chapter 2. And in Psalms chapter 2, I'm looking at verses 1 through 6. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now what you hear in that passage is man's rebellion and God's response. And that makes an impression. Psalms 2, 1 through 6. God will not give control over to man. The nations can rage. The kings of the earth can plan and plot and take counsel. They can boast in their arrogance. God sits in the heavens mocking such foolishness. And he speaks in his wrath. And this says, he put his king over Zion. That's Christ. So that's this period of Bible history, which primarily is the Tower of Babel scene. After that, one of those genealogies comes up. We've talked about these a couple of times before. This one is found in Genesis 11, 10 through 32. Obviously, another genealogical record, and we already know these have value. Notice how this one takes us from Shem to Abram. We begin with Shem in verse 10, from Shem to Terah in verse 26, from Terah to his son Abram at the end of chapter 11, and the stage is set for the introduction of Abraham into the Bible story and the patriarchs, and that's going to be next. Let's pause here now as we conclude. The book of Genesis tells us over and over of the vanity of men trying to strike out on their own, ignoring God. In spite of this human history, God was steadfast in his purpose to send the Savior to save us from ourselves, from our hype, our pride, our obsession with bigger things, our vain plans and self-absorption. Jesus came into the world to save people like the engineers and workers who conceived this plan and who started a project that God ended. I want to end with Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. The people who attempted this ill-conceived tower said, let us make a name for ourselves. Far better 
for us to use the turn of phrase in Hosea 6 and verse 3 and mean it. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. We're thankful that you've joined us for this next period in Bible history that is primarily about the tower. Remember, your Old Testament books are grouped in this fashion, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then you have the books of history from Joshua over through Esther, the wisdom literature, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and from Hosea that we quoted from today over through Malachi, you have the minor prophets. The New Testament books can be easily memorized as well through these, these groupings, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then history in the book of Acts, the letters from Paul to the churches from Romans to 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus and Philemon, Paul to individuals, the general letters from Hebrews to Jude, and then the book of Revelation. And so next time <clears throat> we'll continue, but I want to remind you of this, who Jesus is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how to respond to him, the book of Acts, how to live daily as a Christian, Romans through 2 Thessalonians, preachers and elders, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, more about what Christians need to know in those general letters, and then victory in Jesus Christ. Next time, we're going to talk about Abram, who becomes known as Abraham, and then after him, Isaac, Jacob, all leading to the formation of the nation of Israel. Thank you for being with us.